Three, two, one. What's that? <laughs> That's too much. That's too much, guys. Tone it too down. Much, too much Monday morning. Got it. Okay, no jingle. We're just going straight into it. <clears throat> really? Yes. No jingle. Do you want the jingle? Uh, I feel like I feel like it's we not... need the jingle. All right, so I'm wearing I'm wearing your t-shirt again for the second time, Andre. Are oh, you? Yeah. <laughs> the anointing is going to rub off on that Let's one. Take it off. Take it be off like, right uh, now. Like right Benny now. Hen, that'd, that'd be crazy. Be like Benny yeah, Hinn visiting Catherine Coolman's grave. It's going to be yeah. full of the anointing. It's going to be full. You're going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. We just got to get you this t-shirt and you'll be good. But that t-shirt doesn't look like it's going to fit me, Mike. Uh, it looks like the same thing. I think you should just donate it to me. It looks like it looks like I, got, I might have got it a little bit small. I don't know. <laughs> it does seem that way. But, but, but that's not XXL. No, you know, it's like, because... Cause it just slipped my mind that you might need a slightly bigger one. And then, and then, um, you know, I guess, I guess that just gets me two t-shirts though. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, now I just got to uh, figure out how to get mixed one. It's funny well. how <laughs> things just work out some, sometimes Mike. Sometimes it is they funny. Just, they just work out that way. I think know? so. So um, we are just thinking about Pactum. I know we're, uh, we're doing some free rep for Pactum here, but, but uh, we <laughs> love it. I, let, let me just say again, I am drinking my Pactum Yeti. And that's why everything yeah. is so good. Life is so sweet these days. Um, but we also, uh, I just spoke to Mike Abendroth. Uh, he's no compromise radio, who is, you know, connected to the Pactum because it's, uh, you know, the brotherly thing. Um, yeah. And uh, so he's open to, do a pod soon so that's great um so oh, cool. we'll we'll sort that out pronto nice. and i'm really looking forward to that one It'll be great um good how was the preach andre we gotta ask everyone cares i'd say what this morning uh one of our elders stuart preached a cracker from habakkuk he's going through habakkuk at the moment oh you didn't even preach fantastic i didn't preach this morning okay um and so yeah it was great just sitting down i had my my notes out and I'm just writing stuff down. It's great. Beautiful. Fantastic. It was like a EMA level preach. It was fantastic. Nice. Um, nice and then, um, yeah. Yeah, that's just EMA is so a conference then, in the UK. It's <laughs> good. It's good conference. I've been there. <laughs> Mike wasn't there. We were there together. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, do you remember? I don't remember. Do you remember, I remember how we Mike went around London? There. I remember the good time the... we had when Mike wasn't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember it too. I just, yeah. I just thank God for the common grace of perceptual blocking. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's good. And then this evening we're looking at uh, the Son of uh, the Eternal Son of God. So thinking about the the Son of God, um, you know, as He was in eternity. Thinking about okay. the Godhead. Thinking about pre, uh, yeah, pre-creation. Just who He is in Himself, the character attributes. Of the son of god so yeah it was good no we, we actually had a, a decent turnout i had a, a pastor friend come and check it out just nice to see him there we had a good number of our young people turn out so actually it was good it was a good night yeah good good you're looking good i mean you're looking smart yeah, well like is to, it, how I is like the waistcoat just... thing working is it like the strategy i know it was a bit of a strategy and the waistcoat uh... the waistcoat i will never go back on because if you tie it tight enough it's like someone is hugging you all the time <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and need everyone hugs, needs yeah. everyone needs a hug especially <laughs> pastors on sundays especially pastors on sundays so like guys come in i, I had some really strange stuff said to me this morning i mean it was like it was a crazy morning like we had all kinds of things going on we had like seriously like i don't know but like verging on the demonic like i mean it was crazy <laughs> stuff happening this morning um so yeah i needed my hugs free so this is yeah. great i'm just like walking around with someone like literally just it's such a good idea day. i know we i know i know Let's, i don't know why guys don't wear there's two things i don't understand why do you guys not have beards and why do they not wear waistcoats well this the is, thing so okay. here's the thing about waist, waistcoats for me here's why i don't like waistcoats they make me look too formal I feel right. too formal. I feel like people think, like, who the heck are you? Why would you even wear a, a waistcoat? It's not Simple a solution, bro. Simple solution is you dress it down. So you wear, you, 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 first of all, you get a, a waistcoat that's not like this one. You get a waistcoat that's like a fisherman's waistcoat, you know? It's like a bit rugged. It's like that kind of blue <laughs> vibe. Then, then you get, you dress it down with some loafers. You know, you wear like some super cash shoes. With some jeans, it looks right. Yeah, I They're don't like, know if you've got the right picture of a fisherman's waistcoat, bro. What? Like a fisherman's waistcoat's got like. Oh no, I don't. I don't camo mean one of the pockets. I don't like... mean one of the camo jackets. <laughs> no, I mean if you go back, like if you go back. Oh, the old like, tweed think, ones. Think like an eighteen hundreds fisherman in France. That's what I'm thinking of. You know, with the, with the Not... deer hunter hat. Ah, oh, yes, of course, of course. Yeah, that was so so obvious. Now that you said. Yeah. Uh, exactly. You know right, I mean. so um I get yeah, no, I like that, but you still gotta like tuck your shirt in and it's like all weird and I don't know. I don't know. Buy short yeah. shirts. Nice. Then you look like a backstreet boy. You know, or you could just you got, like a little... shirt. Do do that old thing. That would just be shocking. All right, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Nick knows what I'm talking about. Okay, so so <laughs> I mean I, I think it should be uh it should be a uh, thing. So, because we've got this so close, uh, we're recording so close to our Sundays. We need to at least ask about how our Sundays went. So now, now GraceNet knows that if I pitch up with a, uh, you know, a fisherman from France waistcoat, they, you know, they know what's going on. <laughs> I'm experimenting, but I do think you know, just for <clears throat> the pastor's attire is quite a thing. It's worthy of a, a whole show on its own because. Um, it's sort of like I'm all about bring back the Geneva Road, man. I mean, the simplicity of it all. You just throw yeah, that thing on. Because, yeah. you know, as a pastor, you don't, you don't want to be like a spectacle, you know, but you also just can't like look like trash every Sunday. And, you know, there is a, there is a, a stage of life where I felt like I could pull that off with a T-shirt and jeans for, for a long time. But it's just sort of like <laughs> it gets old, I suppose, when you start getting yeah. gray hair and wrinkles. Well, you just sort of you have to start acting like an adult and dressing like an adult. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. really don't feel any of that pressure. I got to be honest with you. I'm not I could quite easily be the guy who just wears whatever I wore when I was 18 all the way through, you know, but it's it's sort of like. I'm just aware that it becomes a distraction. You know, it becomes like almost a statement that I don't necessarily want to be making. You know, mm. um, I don't want to be like, you know, hey, look at me. I'm, I'm refusing to grow up and that, that sort of thing. Yeah, but like, I don't feel the pressure to grow up either. So it's a kind of a weird space. I feel like this this awkward thing. So waistcoats might be the solution. I've got these cool little, uh, these little, uh, that works during winter, but like New Zealand summer gets so hot while you preach. Like the only alternative would be but I was going to say, I had these little, um, what do they call like these vest jersey things, sleeveless ones. So you yeah, can wear yeah. them. They're, they're brilliant for preaching because you don't get too hot. Uh, but <clears throat> but yeah, like summer, I'm back to like t-shirts and jeans. So everyone's just got to deal with it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. 
All right, so we can talk about my stupid book now? Or? <laughs> <laughs> no way, it's not stupid at all. No, but, uh, no, I was thinking uh, when we when you advertise this, you should probably put uh, PhD part one, PhD part two, because the headings probably won't give it away. Just tag oh, it on to okay. the, way, the way that you, you line it up on YouTube or whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's no longer a PhD. Now it's just a book. Yeah. It's, it's a so we'll just book. call it, we'll call it, uh, what would be the abbreviation? <clears throat> Uh, Covenant Lord in Cult of Climbing Sex. CLCB. CLCB. Part one. CLCB. Part one. Yeah. All right. So we've already done the intro with Leon's. With Leon's. So this will be part one. is done. So this is technically part two. Yeah. Exactly. And so we're sort of, we're looking at chapters one and two. So if if anyone wants to read the book, these episodes will sort of give you a great summary intro to those chapters. And so feel free to read along. Yeah, are you? I'm just going to say real... now we're not going to get through chapter one. I'm just going to say that now. Well, we might, we might do. We might get through like <laughs> more than one chapter. We'll just see how I we go. Questions. This is not going. This is not going to be a structured. This is not going to be a structured. Okay, all right, slow down. <laughs> I'm going to slow it down. So, so yeah. Nick, point. So, so maybe, point maybe uh, I, I, I do think we need to go a little bit deeper than Mike wants to go because he's he's just wants to vomit every time he hears these things because he's so sick of all the stuff. <laughs> no, yeah. no, but, but from the but point of view, okay, but I do think fresh. from the point of view of we setting people up to appreciate the book, okay. there is there is a bit of foundational work we need to do. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, so. your ends. Uh, is that a hard copy you're flipping around there? Me? Yeah. I'm hearing real pages now. You got a Kindle version. These are my notes. Bro. Okay, good. I was thinking, like, did you buy a hundred dollar like real one? You know, I must get one. Yeah. No, well, so I, I know. Need, I, I know. need you, to, I need you to sign it and put a personal note. In. Oh, I will totally put your personal. You know, it's coming at you. Uh, see, there it is. Your one right there. I was somewhere around there. I can't point to the right okay, direction, but there it is. Oh, there we go. There, I'll point. There's yours. And there's yeah, in yours ten years' time, when I visit you, Lovely. I'll come pick it up. That's great. Uh, you're preaching in june let's not forget that uh, okay um all right good now um yeah so chapter one introduction the need for the study yes mm. the need for the study so basically what we <clears throat> the way that you set it up in this chapter is you, you talk about the need for clarity on the mission and the mandate which has a nice ring to it. I think we should probably use that for like a conference title or something. Ah, ah, ah. It'd Mission. be great for two talks. And yeah. Mandate. <laughs> ah. You go for two talks. It's just if you want to have a third talk, it might be difficult. Well, no, okay. no, no, yes. no. We've been through this. This is this is our this is our pretend surprise on the issue, and we've oh, yeah. actually we've actually worked this through. We all have. Uh, we only have two tops. I get what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Back, uh, to the, back to the book. So clarity on the mission and the mandate. Why do yeah, we yeah. need the study? Why is this book important? It's because of the breakdown, at least in reform thought, across all of evangelicalism, even worse, on what yeah. is the mission of the church and how does that relate to the cultural mandate? So um, maybe uh, in, in your first chapter, you sort of lay out the, the landscape of the different views. So maybe we could just throw these names out, throw these words out, begin to define them, and then they yeah. become working terms for us yeah. as we as we yeah. move forward. Yeah. So basically, you've got a number of uh, conversation partners. So you've got <clears throat> R2K. What does R2K stand for, Mike? Yeah, Reformed Two Kingdoms. So it doesn't stand for Radical Two Kingdoms? Uh, well, to some people it does. <laughs> you know, that... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so R2K is it's the um, 
um i mean i don't know that anyone really it's, it seems like that label has fallen away a little bit but anyway no, um, it was recently used uh, by the new founders co-host yeah okay whenever whenever you uh whenever you hear it you, whenever i hear it used i'm always wondering because it's it leaves you wondering like what does the r stand for you know it is it made out or fra- i think i'm pretty sure frame labeled it as radical two kingdoms yeah totally no a lot of people would come at it from from so that's what i'm saying like when you see it yeah. like when they don't actually specify this is the reform two kingdom position then yeah. you sort of like okay there's a big question mark where's this guy yeah. going what's going um, but um i found that most people in favor of the position will say the word yeah you know not so what leave is that it, ambiguity what's the difference there. mike between between reform two kingdom and just two kingdom i mean why, yeah. why, why okay. are we that's an important question yeah. i feel like before we have we get covered there, this before yeah, we yeah. Get there, all right, right. Let, me, let me carry on just checking out let's look at all our conversation partners okay. and then right, we'll right, draw right, down right. into to luther's view <clears throat> so we've got r2k uh, reform two kingdom not radical two kingdom radical two kingdom is usually used by some sort of theonomist influence critique yeah we we reject that label we do we do not identify with it then you got neo calvinism so maybe let's just put some meat on the bone of that we know that uh leon's is going to talk to us a bit more about that later on but let's just give a little a little teaser what is neo calvinism uh yes man i'm looking forward to that um second run up with uh lee but um yeah so neo calvinism is um again it's quite a quite a slippery term and you have to be careful to define it probably like you often you often i mean the word neo just means new and calvinism so it could it could come across like and it has actually been used uh talking about um you know like the new calvinists the wave of new the john piperites and the yeah. driscoll's and whatnot which is which is so not what we're talking about so if yeah, anyone exactly. does hear that just uh make sure not to go in that direction we're thinking here about like you know in-house reformed thought uh, historically and um, we're thinking about particularly the Dutch tradition that mm-hmm. starts to emerge uh, post-Reformation, <clears throat> you know, almost post-19th century, yeah, yeah post-Enlightenment. <clears throat> and um, and you have a group of key thing- thinkers of the most famous, I think, is uh, Abraham Kuyper. Most people kind of know him. Uh, he has to take some responsibility for what happens there, even if, you know, people go way beyond uh, what he himself said. Um, and, you know, he just starts to play with some of these concepts that were just in vogue at the time you know you've got uh Kant's uh you know uh thinking that that everyone's processing you've got uh the enlightened post-enlightenment speech and philosophy I suppose is, is what everyone's working with you've got this uh, uh pull away from Christianity and he's trying to sort of you know use Christianity as the the counterpart worldview and and uh, a way to be able to solve things um uh, better than those uh, opposing philosophers, uh, humanist philosophers and enlightenment philosophers were saying. And, um, and so uh, you had here, you know, we all know his sphere sovereignty and his yeah. whole idea of grace. The, the sovereignty of God, you know, kind of uh, covenant Lord ideas is really front and center for him, which we at that level have no problem with. But then when it starts getting a little bit uh, crazy is when he starts uh, allowing these philosophical concepts like this um, holistic, worldview theory philosophy that that everything must come from a single starting point everything must be reduced to a single starting everything must be accounted for by the whole and uh and and you know are not at all happy with any levels of duality in their system you know everything's got to be singular and whole and and holistic and um and so that starts to kind of impede on their thinking process and, and moves them away a little bit from um your 
classical theology up until that point, which perhaps was a little bit, it, it was happier. Yeah. Albeit from a place that we might disagree with, you know, even if it is, we're, we're talking there about the, you know, grace is added to nature and so forth. Um, there, there was just a, a, a happiness with a, a duality that, that was present in the thinking uh, up until that point. And so that starts evolving. And then you've got uh, the thinkers after Kuiper. I mean, most let me let me throw out the name. So in your book, you mentioned you know Skilda, yeah, which is anti-piety, anti-common grace sort of right, guy. right, right. Then you've got uh, Doyeviet with his cos cos cosmonic project. Uh, yeah, Cosmonic. Then following him, yeah. you had Mita, yes, who was all all government should be Christian. Uh huh. And following him, you have sort of the the public uh, uh, Schaefer. Who popularized all these things exactly yeah and then you got the uh, walters and plantinger and then smith so you sort of those are just some of the names that are associated with neo-calvinism yep. yep. and as, as we as we read and think in these areas whenever you hear a quote from those guys you need to know what camp they're coming from yeah and to be to be i mean those guys were you know they're moving in explicitly that that kind of i would say you know let, let's before we talk about them let's talk about david because yeah. He's the guy who, you know, took one step further than Kuiper, in my opinion, and just really, you know, was he wanted to rid, rid um, uh, the, this this um, uh, ground motive of any sense of of um, duality at all, and so that's where it really starts, you know, impeding on the system, and 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 even if you could argue that Doevet himself was able to keep some level of tension, I think post Doevet, that's where it does start getting, you know, yeah. Klein does direct. Uh, a little bit of his attention to these neo doyavidians out there, uh, these mysterious guys that, you know, perhaps were in Canada or perhaps somewhere else or whatever. Um, or um, you just have these guys who have popularized some version of doyavid's thinking. So he really becomes the, the, the kind of the filter through of yeah. Kuiperian thought. From that point, it starts getting into what we see in the guys you've just mentioned. Yeah. Um, so I mean, just the impression that I get reading your book and then just going on YouTube, for example, Yes. So, you know, the well, real I, discussion with the adults is between yes. R2K and neo-Calvinism. Yes. And yes. then uh, at the popular level, you know, there's Doug Wilson. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you've got R2K, you've got neo-Calvinism, and then you sort of, it comes into the post-millennial theonomic, the, you know, theonomy brand. So let's talk theonomy for a moment. Let's, let's bring it down to the, the sort of... Yeah. Hang on. But before we go there, can, before yeah. we go there, can we just quickly... Sorry, and also, and also, I was just yeah, just on the popularizers of Dovid's thinking. You know, we've mentioned a few names there, but it also should be said that it really is the dominant landscape. So when you you know, as it starts bleeding into transformationalist thinking and so forth, and it's even in and this is where it does have this interesting blend with neo-Calvinism, the other kind, you know. Um, in that they've all adopted Keller and you know um, Keller, all yeah. of these guys that are transformationalists and really have borrowed all of these concepts from Nancy Piercy and oh, what's her name? Nancy Piercy. That's yep, Nancy wrong when Piercy. I said it. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, all these guys who have just basically, you know, popularized even further, perhaps not holding fast to like central Dutch tenets of theology. So, uh, so much, but they've, they've, it is the dominant reformed <clears throat> way of processing. Even I would engagement. say, I would even put founders, the present, you know, you've oh, got sure. these, the whole public oh, yeah. theologian movement. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, the exactly, present public yeah. theologian movement would be a sort of neo-Calvinist. Yeah. 
so yeah, they're all coming out of that Dutch stream. So yeah. it's always the you know yeah. a way to shorten the whole thing is just go everyone except for Van Drunen <laughs> and Horton yeah. and Horton and, and the guys we like and us and us by the way and the West Coast to California yeah. basically. Yeah. So yeah. we we are in, in a minority. Um, I think it is changing a little bit. I think that we might see a few people just go okay. We'll see what happens with this whole like post COVID world vibe where where you know I think things are be- being polarized now more than they were in that people are really wanting to push back and give it a go and and other people are really seeing how how stupid that is so in some ways there there could be um uh, Jonathan Lehman be... and yes. Mark Deva they would be you know they've they've mm-hmm. got a, a two kingdoms framework yes yeah. and uh Lehman's book political church which was kind of like um you know skirting the issue for a little bit there uh, I think I think we'll we'll lean more. You know, his way of thinking will lean more in our our, our direction as we go. Yeah, no, but anyway, so yeah, yeah. Um, so so that so I mean, just just to put it into perspective, that's where the academic discussion is taking place. I mean, that's that's so. If you if you're gonna want to pick up books on theory, you really got to dig into these guys. Uh, if if you which think guys? you're gonna if you think you're gonna become an expert on these issues by watching YouTube, you're not. No. So which guys are you thinking some... about? Which guys <laughs> are you? Which guys are you thinking about? Um, so I've, I've 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 had conversations with many young men. No, I mean like which thinkers no, are you thinking about? Yeah. Well, well you like got to start, with, you've got to start with Kuiper, and you got to you got to recognize that there is a, a, a spectrum of views within neo Calvinism. We come yeah. to modern new Calvinist expressions in Keller. Yeah, yeah. So you've got this. They got the whole gambit going on there. And yeah, no, that's true. And I there's think nuance and, going on in all of those places. And there's and, and really, if you do want views. to get into it, uh, you've you know, David is the guy. I think he is. He is. Uh, many people would look at that the beginning of that thinking. I mean, a lot of people will get into Kuiper because he's a lot easier in some ways than than David. But but David, it's really that nexus point, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Can I can David, I just ask about Kuiper because Kuiper. Um, he seems to be quite ambiguous on, on a lot of stuff. And I, I hear a lot of people claim him both ways. Yeah. Like, what's your take yeah. on Kuiper and where he actually stands on like, like how, like, can he be claimed in any sense for the two kingdom stuff? Or is he, is he comp- on like yeah. totally on the neo-Calvinist side? Like, no, no, I, I think Kuiper can, I mean, he's, he's, he's still got a foot in the old world in that way. Um, you know, he is, very much thinking i mean it's if anyone wants to read i mean it doesn't take a long time to figure this out either you just you read read common grace by kuiper for example and and he'll he'll set these things out in mm-hmm. fact there was a recent book uh, on neo calvinism um i forget the author's names the two authors yeah it's a big I, it's, a, it's a big chunk yeah um anyway so i've re- recently just read it and um um i'll try and remember to put it in the show grace and common podcast guys yeah okay there we go um very good very good book and they're very helpful in terms of just spelling out exactly i think they're you know as far as i, I mean they're they're more specialized in kuiper than i have ever become but um they, they put bavink there with kuiper and they think about him and what he said and and yeah I, I mean you see there as they're portraying him exactly the kind of thing that you see when you read through kuiper which is that he's you know he's very classical in the way that he approaches things is 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 common grace um um peace it holds it together in terms of um uh, you know, he, he he's happy with the sense of duality. You know, it's sort of conflicting with perhaps the seed thought in his holistic worldview theory, but, but he's able to hold this tension well. Um, and I don't think, and I think as Klein read Kuiper, for example, like he wouldn't have had too many worrisome thoughts pop up. The, the difficulty was that in that culture, 
uh, Kuiper was a lot like maybe even Kelvin, we could say, and that there was a kind of difference in the way it worked out. And he was a little bit, he has to take responsibility, as I say, for some of the stuff that gets thrown on him ultimately, because his rhetoric betrays that he actually just, you know, he wants more than his theology is allowing for at that point. So that's why I do think he can be claimed by both, you know, yeah. camps, as can Kelvin almost, because you've got Kelvin, the theorist, um, at, at one level, his systematics, where he's talking happily about these, the, this two kingdom dynamic. Um, and yet when it came down to, you know, working around, working in Geneva and doing his thing, um, you know, small consistory was very active with passes on things definitely took a more active (laughs) note. So, but he's working within the context of Christendom and so forth. So, you know, again, you've got to almost separate the, the practice from the theory at some degree without discrediting each, each one of these guys, they obviously were able to hold it together. Um, but. Uh, I do. I like Piper. I, Piper. I like Kuiper. Um, I like Piper too. You know, as my daddy. <laughs> <laughs> not, not on this issue particularly, but um, but uh, Kuiper is worth reading. I mean, I've just I love reading his stuff. So, and I'm like a rabbit to kingdom guy. You know, so so that's yeah. got to say something. There there are times like if you I don't know. I think it might have been translated, but this was the one thing I, I worked through in Dutch, which was great. Uh, it was his Ons Program. Yes. Uh, he, he, but his um, <laughs> his his rhetoric against the idea of theocracy, uh, theonomy at least, uh, mm. against the idea of a church-state blend. I mean, it is Afrikaans, and you know what I mean. <laughs> I mean, those guys they get they get talk, You know, I yeah. mean, it's like it's. I mean, he just starts railing into these guys, and um, and you could see very clearly that for whatever Kuiper was wanting to do. He was not like it's so ironic that the theonomists hold him as some sort of you know patron saint when in fact he would chew them to death you could see that with uh yeah yeah yeah. and so that's where it does get wrong and that's where i think everyone should say that kuiper was not on the same page uh bolt there's a lot of good work on kuiper as well and he's he's um he makes that point forcefully and correctly i think Okay, great. So, I mean, just putting it into perspective, just helping people understand the landscape. So, R2K and Neo-Calvinism are brothers of the same family. Yeah. We both believe that Christ is the Lord of everything, that yes. there is no part of this world that doesn't belong to Christ. But the, the uh, where, where Kuiper had some of the DNA of a two kingdoms view, where he recognized that God rules differently in common grace than he does in the church, yeah. Two kingdoms is really pushing Sphere forward. Sphere sovereignty really was a form of two kingdoms, if you think yeah, about it. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And so Kuiper- so if you if if you uh endorse sphere sovereignty, that's you know, depending on how you emphasize it, you could be two kingdoms. Yeah, and that's what's kind of it's interesting. It's not opposed because- to two kingdoms. <laughs> Just to rabbit trail this for a second, you know what's crazy is that you see the theonomists pegging Doyaviet with Clyde because of their of their divorcing of these realms. <laughs> Yeah. You know, because because David's taking uh, uh, Kuiper and he's like, you know, putting some steroids on it. And, and so the sphere sovereignty get gets even more spherized. How and, ironic. Um, <laughs> I know. And it's so funny that, that, you know, there they are talking about church and state. And and I'm like, you know, I, I like that part of David. You know, it's good. It's like he's really, you know, obviously he wants to bring it together in this in this greater concept. But but, uh, you know, it seems quite quite two kingdomish at certain points and and it's yeah. it's so interesting that that the guys would pick up on that and go oh, do it and plan you got to avoid those guys for the two kingdom reason 
<laughs> and here we are here we are squabbling you know um anyway so yeah so okay so moving on then so we got rtk well hang on yeah, hang on nick just i i really do feel like now would be a good time to differentiate between reform two kingdom and two kingdom because just just the summary yes. we can dig into it yes. later but like we've thrown it around a lot and i just think r2k why even talk like that why yeah, one yeah, yeah. no it is a good point it is a good point we go, do need go, to go. think about it okay so because there is it's a different thing and lutherans freak out when we start talking this way as well and we've got to help the lutherans we love the lutherans right so so we've got to we got to we got to work with them um yeah. they you know because they'll they'll come along i mean because the the two kingdom dynamic starts right in the beginning it's not reformed in any stretch you know it's it's obviously pre-reform pre-reformation it's just the church in some way trying to find its you know the way that it works in the world so you see this 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 paradigm as i've called it in the book uh just just netting itself out all the way through uh all these things we've talked about in the past you know uh the letter to epistle to diagnetus you know just whatever uh city of god even falls in this category it's just this this broader way of processing um and then you get to uh even with kelvin and the squabble there about what was kelvin what was luther you know it's an interesting discussion and um, and it's it's definitely framed correctly in light of this two kingdom paradigm, but um, they're not basing it on covenant theology at all. Mm. They're not. That's not how they're they're processing this whole thing. So it, that's why that's why you need to dif- distinguish this reformed two kingdom kind of thing because because they're they're going okay. We ex- we see the paradigm. We see its helpfulness, but we're approaching it from a distinctly reformed perspective in that it's like coming out of a reformed covenant theology. Now it's it's true that the question mark you know, is there, well, what kind of covenant theology are we talking about here within the reformed world? And that's, that's kind of where you get into this Dutch um, versus, you know, uh, reformed two kingdom uh, uh, squabble, because really at the end of the day, what my book's trying to show is that there are two different, two different covenant theologies at the base of it. So that, that's the way to distinguish it though. I think if, if, if the reformed, if the idea of two kingdoms is being driven by idea of, of a covenant of redemption, um, you know, which is, which is, regulating and governing the people of God unto eternity and a covenant of common grace, which is regulating the, the common affairs. And Jesus is obviously the administrator of both covenants. He is the king. Uh, there's one king, but there are two, in a sense, two kingdoms uh, moving forward because of these two covenants. That's distinctive. That's that's a reformed two kingdom yeah. uh, idea. Right. So it's a covenant right, driven distinction. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Whereas uh, Luther would be, you know, a Christendom thinker who had some exactly some some inner and outer distinctions. So his is like, yeah, he's looking in terms of, uh, you know, uh, the internal world versus the external world, uh, the the world that is justified before God versus yeah. the world that you know. And he uh, looks through know. the lens of the law gospel distinction at how who does yeah. what in in those realms, as opposed to how does covenant theology give us a larger framework to right. To so he's like good questions. Even with the law gospel thing, I mean, he's approaching the whole thing as these like timeless principles, right? They're, they're these abstract, timeless, ontological sort of principles, and um, and that's how law gospel gets imposed on everything, and it just separates yeah. that whereas with reform thinking i mean it's all coming out of redemptive historical understandings of of the way things work and that's why covenants are interwoven with the whole process because we don't just understand these random principles uh we understand it to emerge law emerges by way of the covenant of works uh it emerges in our understanding uh, grace by the way of the covenant of of, of redemption and the covenant of of grace yeah. as they work together so um so that that again is a distinctive point that that separates it's it's sort of like we start and we overlap a little bit with the Lutherans, but but it's it's kind of like we're just yeah. approaching it in, in different ways. And the, 
The other, uh, that's really helpful. And, and the other guy that gets thrown into the mix. So there's, I mean, you, you've got Luther, who's obviously drawn into, into this discussion. Uh, you've got Kelvin, who's drawn into it. You've got Kuiper, who's drawn into it. But the other guy who also gets, I don't know if now's the time to, to go into this, is, is Augustine. He also gets drawn into this. I mean, does the city of God, city of man thing, I know it's not a straightforward one for one thing, but is there mm. any um, is there any sense in which that is leading one way or the other? Well, he's so he's dealing by way of antithesis with this whole problem. So he's going the city of God, city of man, right? And and the, if you think about this reform to kingdom thing, what it's doing, <clears throat> the big squabble is actually about the common grace idea, you yeah. know, mm -hmm. um, which is not even there in. It's in like August the area in between, yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it's de facto there in in um, in uh, Augustine, not not Augustine. Augustine. Okay. Um, no, I'm just, I'm, I, I just say Augustine and there's no ways I'm getting out of that. So just let, let, let's pick a team. <laughs> um, so, so there's this de facto overlap. Obviously the overlap is that here we are, right? Like we are just stuck uh, for a little bit uh, in this time, this current age. And there is a, like a belligerence. There is a, um, uh, a toleration of one another. There is a, a, something along those lines, but there's no articulation, so to speak, of, of this whole idea of common grace, which legitimate, it's actually a legitimate reality. This is what the new, new neo-Calvinists uh, really don't like, that we're saying that, you know, if they, if they use the language of common grace, they're saying, yes, it's a, it's a, it's a little, um, a pause, a, a little moment. The church for the church to do its job with. Exactly, like you've got a little <laughs> moment there, and God's giving you a window. Go for it, you know. But yeah. but in terms of uh, anything legitimate as it stands, you know, uh, they 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 burst into flames. I can't allow say, Nero to be the emperor. He must be overthrown. Exactly. <laughs> Ultimately, you could you allow him to be the emperor if you can't overthrow him, and it's clear that you can't overthrow him. But as soon as that window opens, well, that's common grace, brother. You got to go for it, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and and that's not what we're talking about at all. And um, so you know, it does leave a little question as to what would Augustine have thought about that idea. Um, this, you know, he I I don't know, but I read it. I, I did read it. I did give it some thought, and. Yeah. I think that he might, because you see the way it does move in, in Roman Catholic thinking and the way that they're dealing with the two kingdom paradigm by way of uh, the church is, you know, basically Christendom. Okay. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. within Christendom, you got the sword and you got the uh, the government with the sword, right? The kingdom of the mm -hmm. sword and you got the kingdom of the church, but, but they're all, it's all within Christendom. There is no unbeliever in their, in their uh, way of processing it, you know, which born is, to baptize right. Exactly. So it's, it's again, a very strange thing to try and translate into our world because they don't, they don't deal with the same categories. Um, and then uh, with, 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 with Augustine, you have that a little bit more because he's, he's recognizing that there are those beyond the church in that book, which is good. Um, uh, but again, he's, it, it's almost like you get the impression all the way through that the only, the best you can come up with is not, is not a legitimate realm, but more just uh we must wait and be patient, you know, and, um, and set our hope on what is to come. Um, maybe I should also say that my reading of Augustine, you know, and that doesn't count for a lot, but, but just for, for having given it some thought and I, I did, that's like one of the books that I already re tried to read through quite carefully um, was that your impression at the end, is that uh, it's not okay? Let's go and overthrow the government and make the the pope famous. You know, um, it is. It's really the opposite. It's it's kind of like if they tear down Rome, who cares? 
This is not where we live. You know, this is not this is not ultimately our home. So be prepared to be like 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 the patriarchal sojourners and mm. and set your set your eyes on the on the world to come. That's our true heavenly city. So that and, and you know that does make sense in light of his context where they're just ripping Rome apart and and he's just wanting them to to know that you know like who cares? Let him come. This is not where our world is anyway. Um, so yeah, it's like how do you translate that? It's difficult. Yeah, different categories, yeah, there. Yeah. different questions that he's answering. Yeah. So it's um, coming back to our conversation partners then. So we've looked at R2K, Neo-Calvinism. We've done some nuance and spectrums there. Now we want to talk about theonomy. So, da, da, da. Da, da, da. so reconstructionism, <laughs> theonomy, post-millennial, the, uh, mono-covenantal. So I, <laughs> I think I think because uh, all these kind of terms are all kind of like thrown around together, aren't they? Like you got transformationalists, you got monocovenantal, you got uh, theonomists, you've got, you know, uh, post-mall. Like, yeah. and so, I, I, you know, like are they all just synonymous of the same thing? Like, I mean, you get theoretical monocovenantalists and you've just got practical outworking monocovenantalists, yeah. people who deny it in theory, but actually it just, that's the way it works out according yeah. to their and covenant it, theology. An interesting, um, an interesting piece to, to read that's quite short. Well, it's not that short, but it's um, in response to Klein from Bonson, um, who, you know, because Klein came out full guns blazing against the enemy. Uh, shortish piece, just basically making, you know, the kinds of claims we're, we're quite used to, um, saying you, you're mixing up. You know, you're, you're it's post-millennialism. It's everything. Eschatology is wrong. Uh, Israel is being treated as a norm. And so he's just like throwing it all on the table. And what Bonson took exception to, and it's just kind of, you know, you make of it what you will, but he said, well, firstly, you know, Klein has been unfair in, in lumping all of this together as if like, I'm just, you know, I, I hold to all of these things in a synonymous way and indiscriminately and whatnot. And there, there are different thinkers within theonomy and there's a whole big range. I think that is probably a, you know, a good point to keep in mind. Um, but we as Kleinians can't help seeing what Klein saw, you know, we, we, we just, um, because we know the implications and we know where these guys go with all of this yeah. stuff. And so, and so even if they, they skirt around the issue year and want to kind of isolate it to win one argument at a time, um, you know, it's, it is the accumulative force that we're, that we're seeing and have a problem with. So, you know, in, in some sense you want to say, no, they're not synonymous, but, but my goodness, like for example, monocovenantalism, you're going to struggle to find that, you know, laid out very clearly in Bonson, for example. Um, but I mean, you know, he eventually ends up there. We know that, and everyone yeah. can feel it. And it's not in his writing per, per se. There are but some moments, that, but he endorses, and he's warm to Shepherd who teaches it. And even that sort of becomes sort of an after-the-fact point, though. Yeah. You know, it, it, and so you, if you're just limited to his what he wrote uh, theory, we could say um, he's been very, very careful and very, very guarded. Um, but there are some moments that he slips up. I think that, that, but again, not like plaguing major monocovenantal issues that you might imagine are there, uh, but they do come along. We all, and clients saw that we see it, you know, everyone sees it. And, and so it's just frustrating because yeah, they are all connected um, without a doubt. And yet, you know, yeah. So, to, so speaking you, of monocovenantalism, here's a, a definition. I want one of our own past you brothers. So someone is defining the covenant of grace and he says, to keep it simple, let us call the covenant of grace God's solemn oath of salvation in and by Jesus Christ, conditioned upon obedient faith that bonds his people to one another and himself. I should add that I take the old covenant and the new covenant simply as different administrations of this one covenant of grace. 
Yeah, I would say, mm. I mean, that that is almost just a normal reform position. I, I would say monocovenantalism pushes one step further even from that, in that the opening line there, how did you word it? Uh, it is the covenant of salvation or? Oath of salvation Oath in of sal- and by Jesus Christ conditioned upon obedient faith. Yeah, so I would say, I would say that, that strict mono covenantalism are there it's not just the the old and new covenant that are mono rising you know it's um it's the pre-fall and post-fall ideas that are mono rising as well so there's yeah. no covenant of works covenant of grace they're all just one you one know covenant of grace. no, no of, covenant of words right so yeah. they wouldn't they wouldn't even necessarily have the word salvation in there because that restricts it only to what happened after the fall yeah, I um, guess so. I guess I was zeroing in on uh, the covenantal nomism of this phrase, conditioned upon. Yes, yes. Oh, well, of course. Obedient faith. But now, how do they get yeah. to that? How do they get yeah. to that sort of way of processing the covenant of grace? Well, it's because they've 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 basically included the covenant of works yeah. as the same constituent. They have reality. a cookie cutter yeah. approach to all the covenants, so they're all very yeah. similar yeah. rather than different. Exactly. So look it's the, now, and the way they talk about it is. Um, it's, so that's it's not, Jared Longshaw, who left Founders recently, who's now with Doug Wilson at Moscow. Woo! Okay, there we go. But that's Moscow is where this all leads. Like that's the thing. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter and that's where, where you hop on the train. The train gets off at Moscow. Right. You know? And that's to your point earlier, <laughs> as in like yeah. it's, we it's always all there. knew it. Communism is wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Even if it's reformed communism. Yeah. Yeah. I just had the wrong beast in the book of Revelation. It wasn't wasn't that Moscow? It was this Moscow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's so funny. Of all names, of all names. Um, so yeah, but you know they talk about they talk about grace. It's not that the grace begins after the fall. Yeah. Uh, grace is always there. It's just the kind of grace that's different, right? Yeah. So. And, and that's how they want to sort of frame it usually. Um, so, and frame is the guy who actually said that. Um, yeah, so we'll come to frame, frame in a moment. So okay. maybe just to sort of isolate theonomy for a moment. So beginning with Rushduni, I guess, mid-20th century. Yeah. yeah. Under, under Reconstructionism, then theonomy, Bonson theonomy. And yeah. then, uh, you know, a little bit of post-millennial sprinkled in. And now you've got uh, post-millennial theonomy 2.0 or mm-hmm. Federal Vision Light in Doug Wilson. Yes. Um, and... <laughs> And so, yeah, so just just for the just for the, the uninitiated trying yeah. to listen into this, what does postmill got to do with this? So how does postmill nice. fit into the whole thing? Yeah, very good. So I mean that obviously that has to do with the question around uh, where is the what is the relationship between the kingdom of Christ and the millennium? Mm. So yeah. Christ, or the, the second coming of Christ and the millennium. So the millennium is the, is the kingdom of Christ manifest, and so. Christ comes after the kingdom has first arrived. So kingdom first, then Christ's arrival. So so Jesus comes after the millennium has already gotten here, which means that uh, their expression of millennialism has to take some sort of earthly form. Christ Whereas millennialism yeah. is a spiritual millennialism, where we see the intermediate state as the the you know we enter with the first resurrection. We enter into we sit with Christ on His throne in the in the intermediate state. So Whereas, to, to tie it yeah. into the book title, Covenant Lord and Cultic Boundary. The yeah. covenant Lord is the thing there. Christ has to be king now so that his rule is expressed yeah. as per one would expect in a millennial rule of Christ. He hasn't returned yet, but what would it look like for Christ to sit on the throne and rule in this world for a thousand years? Yeah. Well, so that that's going to take some cultural engagement right there. Yeah. So there's no cultic yeah. boundary. You're just going for it, you know, and, uh, yeah, or at least you're expecting a, dem- a an increasing cultic 
boundary. So yeah, yes. coterminous so, with with the. So, with so the if every square of, inch of this yeah. world belongs yeah. to the Lord Jesus Christ as King, therefore the Mosaic Law should be ruling all governments. Just like Israel did, you know. Yeah. There you are. Uh, the whole world has to be Israel. That's the yeah. that's the whole idea. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Cool. So then we move to frame and perspectivalism. So here's another a distinct conversation partner, which is connected to neo-Calvinism, connected to transformationalism, connected to yeah. some sort of practical mono-covenantalism as he engages with Barnson, but his own unique voice and a critic yeah. of R2K. So let's maybe put that into perspective. Yeah, he's an important guy because he's obviously been very, very influential, again, as it sort of moves into the more neo, other kind of neo-Calvinist, uh, they, they've used, like Keller and Frame have been massive in the way that, um, you know, people just ha have processed theology and and stuff um but frame you know he he would himself see you know he would see himself sitting there somewhere between um neo-calvinism and theonomy um in terms of a spectrum of views um he's not quite happy to be you know as as forthright about things as the theonomist is and he wants to be more subtle uh, on certain areas which makes sense because of his distinct methodology um and then you know he's not quite with the neo-calvinists in that he's approached he's getting there in a different way but he doesn't like uh we're doing it has gone with this sphere sovereignty stuff and all of that and um and so the way he gets where he is going is um completely different from where the way everyone else is is doing it um and which is important to say because you know yes it kind of looks like he's right there and it's just a small little nuance but actually he's like coming at it from a completely different hermeneutic um and he's actually formed his own kind of covenant theology as well, which is, as far as I'm aware, completely unique to frame. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just like this whole, he wants to undercut the covenant of works by creating a covenant of creation so that even if the covenant of works goes wrong as as proclaimed, still the, the idea of Sabbath eschatology remains. And, you know, it's just like this really strange, idiosyncratic um, um, yeah. yeah. But And then the big thing, of course, is that his methodology is his own you know um child there uh, perspectivalism um and it again it comes out of this covenant lordship idea in that uh his his all uh, he, he's got this um the normative he's got, uh, he's got a big theology of lordship for sure yeah, yeah so normative perspective situational perspective existential perspective they're all flowing out of this thing that he says he got from klein where where uh you know Christ is Lord, and in an ancient Near Eastern concept, this would mean that He has control, authority, and presence. And then somehow that kind of morphs into into <laughs> this, uh, this 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 tribalism. Yeah. And uh, it's yeah, it is basically that. It's basically a way. It's a method to um, to apply, um, you know, what God says as a yeah. timeless sort of principle, whether it's before the fall, or after the fall, to every part of life all the time via this lordship principle in three aspects it's just threes triangles all over the place yes. because because you know there is a there is this control authority presence and it's also true that god is trinitarian and wow that's amazing so so you've got all of these things going on which mean that you know you, everything just need, so when he's when if you're asking the question should god's law be applied to the government uh explicitly yes. and should we become a christian government the answer is always yes Yes, yes. He comes across time. as a mid-strength neo-Calvinist, more like meter. You know, all the governments of the world should be Christian governments. And now, now what's funny about this, though, and, and on reflection, now, you know, and I'm saying this charitably and kindly. I don't mean it like like as in, uh, you know, whatever, because obviously frames a giant of an intellect. And, you know, just the fact that he can put this together is 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 um, is is a thing on its own. 
But, you know, what's crazy is he's almost more of a theonomist than any theonomist, you know, because Mm -hmm. what you have is, um, I mean, even like you have the strange little moment in (laughs) in Klein and Bonson where they're like squabbling, squabbling. And then they're both almost like pause and go, but we both agree that frames just off his rocket. <laughs> and they both agree for the for the same reason, you know? It's just because like frame like, frame is a paradox, isn't he? Because I mean he's like he's got like all these theonomic uh uh sympathies, and then he calls himself a pietist and an anabaptist. Oh my goodness. So, and so and pietism that- and anabaptism, I think he I think he identified as that in order to deconstruct his confessionalism rather than a separation of church and state. Okay, but what what yes, that's true. Absolutely. But but it does make more sense when you start really digging into his methodology as a perspectivalist. Like because he what he's doing is, you know, very he's taking his own methodology seriously. The problem is that it, it, his methodology doesn't depend on any kind of Vasian hermeneutic or any kind of thing that we treasure as reformed, you know, covenant theologians. Um yeah. it depends upon your own preconceived kind of understanding of what ultimately theology should look like uh that's the danger of the of this whole thing gets extremely subjective so what's happened is the people have taken his methodology and have basically used it to argue for whatever the heck they want to argue you can deconstruct Mm. anything and you can just blur it all as klein says turn it all into a triperspectival hash you know and you can do that with anything and so it doesn't depend on your on the method to keep you together It, it depends on the whatever you're coming to that method with um, you know, which is again very dangerous. So, uh, almost more dangerous than theonomy because, you know, theonomy. You, you you can say what you want about those guys. They've got a very clear process. You know, uh, yeah. they are being yeah. they're transparent about their hermeneutic. Uh, they do have a hermeneutic, so you can argue with them. It's a little bit like the difference between arguing with a cessationist and a and a, a charismatic. You know, with a charismatic, it just gets like weird with stations <laughs> you might disagree with him but there it is you know he's got his point that you're working with principles yeah 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 so i mean we i think we've gotten through the first quarter of the first chapter there mike so far yeah first paragraph yeah. of the first quarter of the first chapter <laughs> <laughs> i think we're doing well this, this, this is take a while <laughs> but, I, I, but uh, only that's I fundamental i mean we're, we're, we're laying yeah. the foundation we're, we're we're highlighting who the conversation partners are when a guy yeah, picks yeah up book it's and getting the land, the land which is super all important these names especially quoted yeah. exactly yeah it's especially if goals. you've never like entered into this before because exactly. then you just get and people keep throwing names around like they're on who's on whose side and who's a yeah. goodie and who's a bad and then sometimes like the radical two kingdoms is a is a slander coming mm-hmm. from a particular sector Mm, you yep. know or yep. uh you know antinomian that's slander coming from a particular oh, sector for sure you know sure. yeah and so it's yeah. who are you listening to that you learned that phrase from exactly you know exactly. there is it's like if someone calls you a are. replacement theologian yeah like, mm. oh, get, mm, guess who you're talking to mm, i wonder, <laughs> yeah. I wonder. Marvin did say that the church replaces israel <laughs> okay clearly I mean, we all agree that that's true <laughs> But I'm just no, we saying, believe like, in expansionist theology, not replacement theology. Oh, no, I, but I, the I, people of God are now the Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah, sure. I that's just fine. agree with everyone. I mean, that, that sounds like a dispensational. That sounds like a like a, okay. You have to nuance that guy to death to get out of some sort of squabble with a dispensationalist. <laughs> that's right. Point <laughs> is, you know, you know, know you're talking to a dispensationalist. To. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Yeah. No one else is going to bring that point up. You know. Anyway. Um, now, uh, 
two we, goals, two goals, two goals yes. for this thing. Let me just, so number one, we've kind of hit like just the idea is just to intro some stuff, make it a bit yep, more accessible yep. for anyone who wants to kind of um, read the book, which we would encourage just because it does get you out of the blogosphere and just gets you a little bit deeper and gets you thinking about the things which are important and are worth the effort and will help you theologically to, to even if you disagree with the book, you'll still straighten things out at the substructural level, which is really important. That's the first goal, just to help you do that. The second goal is to just, we'll talk it through in an unstructured way. Um, I mean, we'll use broadly the, the, the book as a structure, but we're going to just do it until we get bored with it. So, uh, well, you know, that's our second goal to not get bored. We'll just keep talking. And then when we get bored, we'll ditch it. So sorry. That's, if that's Mark's exit way. clause for at any point he gets bored, he's going to exit. We're going to be reading Plato soon. I promise you, I can go all day with this stuff, right? I mean, this is like, uh, I'm worried about you guys. I'm concerned with your sanity. I don't want to box you in with this topic. Um, but I'm happy to talk about it all day. So that's what's coming. That's good. All right. I want okay. to talk about Richard Niebuhr, but anyway. It's all yeah, good. I was going to say, do we need to discuss Niebuhr and the spectrum of views? But... We probably do. Should we yeah. quickly do that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Did... Well, I... We're back by special request. Okay. Quickly. Niebuhr's five categories. It is, it is helpful just to put, it's just the lay of the land, you know? Yeah. He, he sort of wrote this like epic book that just basically goes, all right, how has the church thought about Christ and culture? That's the name of the book. Uh, how is it, how is it sort of, um, you know, it, it, he didn't like any kind of book that's going to do this is obviously going to fail again and again because it's too big of a project, but as, in terms of coming closest to the goal, he was still one of the best, uh, if not the best, everyone refers to him. So it's ever, you know, to anyone that, that reads um, uh, the book we're talking about now should read, or should at least know about uh, Niva's categories, which I think is mentioned in the book. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the, you've, you've got the first one, which we don't care about. And that's this kind of like, Christ of, uh, Christ, Christ of culture so and and you know but Niebuhr's right in that you do right throughout the, the church's history have um uh have a group of people that have yeah. just been like yeah we're Christians um we go to reach unreached people's group uh people groups uh well no we don't really do that actually we just we just if we happen to find them we just baptize whatever's there so basically like, yeah. here's, here's a here's a uh, current events Andre uh, so the Anglican Church, the Archbishop has recently had to step back because, you know, the over 50% majority of Anglicans now want to go ahead with uh, blessing gay marriage. Right. We're seeing the church endorse what the world is doing. Right. right. Exactly. So culture. the world leads the agenda. It just does its thing. And the church is like, we just want to show you how, you know, Christ is basically going to make you kind of uh, understand so like your Sadducees. culture a bit better. They're like Sadducees. A little bit. Yeah. Liberals. I mean, um, because yeah. they're sad, you see. <laughs> nice. I never feel so obvious that I should have put that together years ago. They're sad, you see. Because um, they don't but, believe in the resurrection. So they're sad. So we have see. a lot of that still, though, uh, in the church today. I mean, New Zealand, yeah. certainly, that's a big... So if, if, if the New Zealand government decides that they want to go bipartisan... The church suddenly becomes bipartisan, government-oriented. Yeah, yeah it so just never, it's... never resists. It might, might give the appearance of resisting. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it usually, it usually uh, in its more recent forms, anyway, it has in liberalism. You know, you boil mm -hmm. Christianity down to various symbolisms. You know, and yeah. those it, symbolisms it, 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 can be. And applied usually, to it's liberal, and it's 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 a few steps behind the world, and it quickly becomes out of date. Yeah, and it's just it's the best. Oh, you, the world shows its version of love. Good. Christ shows you a way that that can magnify your 
your view of love you know yeah. uh, so and, the world and, goes politically correct the church copies it, and then the world through its symbol on. shows another magnifier yeah <laughs> and um and so we don't want anything to do with that as even neva says he's like for people that take scripture seriously this is not a real uh, option now. <laughs> so, um, and then uh, on the other extreme you got the christ against culture view so this is like on the other periphery uh, where you've got, I mean, you've got the Amish here, you know, you've got people who, who basically Glory just want to get out of Dodge and, and Hutterans, uh, Gloravel. Exactly. Like you, uh, it says you should not love the world. So what the heck are you doing? Get out of there. You know, that that's basically the Christ against culture view that we've seen uh, reflected throughout the church's history. And I think yeah. that's easy enough to identify. Um, I mean, maybe not Gloraville, because I don't know if I put that in the church. <laughs> yeah, question mark, question yeah, mark. Yeah, exactly. Okay. They have a, they, they they have the Apostles' Creed. So okay, interesting. Yeah, well, I suppose you know when it gets to these fringe, there's always going to be that question mark, which is kind of yeah. the point. But um, they're, they're distinctively Hutterite in their orientation and and Mennonite. Okay, I didn't realize. So they they deliberately and conscientiously Anabaptist. Okay. okay. So then you got the three views in the middle that we care about which are uh, the Christ over culture. Christ above culture. Um, and then you got... Christ in culture and paradox and Christ converts culture. There we go. All the transformer. That's where the transformationalist idea. Yeah. So Christ of, uh, over culture, at least, is kind of classic Roman Catholic, uh, Thomas Aquinas-styled theology. Um, uh, the paradox is the Lutheran sort of uh, two kingdoms idea, which is, I yeah. think, where we would come most close. Although Niebuhr is not even thinking in terms of reform two kingdoms, of course, because it's that's coming after. Um, but um, and then he's pegging the Calvinist view, the reformed view, as the transformation, uh, Christ, the transformer of culture. By the way, I think uh, Lee Irons did a great job when he said uh, Klein's view would be. Um, if I can remember this correctly, uh, Christ is the creator of eschatological culture. Now <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring in yeah. the eschatological perspective. Yeah. I love that. I think that's great. It's like the sixth category that's missing. Um, yeah. And and so uh, you know we, but you know we can appreciate a lot of what's going on there with the Christ culture and paradox, and that we're not trying to have the one um, you know transform the other or whatever. But both are legitimate ent- entities insofar as they go. Um, and that you have to just hold them in this level of tension, which is part yeah. of what we're called to do um, uh, as we go forward. Or even if they're not legitimate, like maybe I've gone even too far in saying that, and you have a more Augustinian sort of approach where, you know, here we are, we're just waiting for that city to come and we're just kind of hanging in there without trying to do anything more. Um, so those are the, the five categories. And uh, the, big, the, the big thing to say about that, though, as it relates to the book, as we go forward, is that because of Niebuhr's work, largely because of what he said there and, and just what he identified as maybe the reality of the time, um, is that that is the, the, the reformed landscape. We are, you know, dealing, as we were saying earlier, with this dynamic. It is, it is the prevailing paradigm in reformed thinking at the moment. Christ, the transformer of culture. Yeah. It's interesting that Niebuhr doesn't refer to Kelvin at all. When he talks about Kelvin, you know, he doesn't even cite him once, you know, and so he's just he's just kind of using this big category idea. And so there's a big question mark as to what actually Kelvin himself believed. So let's leave that aside. But it is true that it is the reigning paradigm. And here we are coming along as reformed two kingdom guys saying, actually, there has been this other reformed paradigm that while it now is, while Niebuhr is associating it more to Lutheranism, uh, it's actually been the way that the whole church as well as uh the reformed uh church originally until the dutch guys came along have understood the christ and culture issue so that's the big pushback there and and even so 
there's a way to specify it further or define it further or make it more form now uh, as we uh, bring it, uh, build it from the basis of covenant theology, which they had never done before. Yeah. So for sure. there we go. Right. right. Good. All right. That'll help. I'll slap that in somewhere. Nice. Not anyone without books in the background. Mm, we have noticed. <laughs>